0: Welcome to Sound Solutions, a series of free audio tapes produced by Braille Institute of America. The tape you are listening to and all the others in the series provide practical information to adults and their families who are dealing with sight loss. The professional staff and many of the students at Braille Institute collaborated to provide the information, tips, and practical solutions to living life independently in spite of sight loss. As you listen to For Your Information, Facts, and Myths, think about the ways you can apply the techniques that are presented. You may want to enlist the help of a sighted friend or family member to help you get started. Remember, the goal is to discover ways to live life as independently as possible. We believe you can do it.
1: One time I fell off a tall building, so I made myself just go loose and limp so I look like a dummy. Everybody came running over to me to try to catch me because they thought they could get a free dummy. That's not true. You made that up. So? So it's a lie. Just because I made it up doesn't make it a lie. It could be a myth. It could be a what? A myth. That's stuff that people make up to explain stuff when they don't know too much about some particular stuff. I don't get it. Well, my story was a safety tip for when you fall off a building. What? Well, you don't think I'm a real dummy, do ya? What? Well, you don't think I'm a real dummy, do ya? Well, actually, you kind of had me on that one.
2: A myth. That's stuff that people make up to explain stuff when they don't know too much about some particular stuff. Well said. And there are many myths about blindness which are just stuff that people make up none of which are particularly helpful.
1: Myth number one, blind people can't see.
2: The fact is, a great percentage of people who are legally blind do have some degree of vision. For example, if a person is looking at an eye chart and all they can see is the giant E, that person is determined to be legally blind, which means that even with the best corrective lenses, that person can see no more at 20 feet than a person with normal vision can see at 200 feet. That's designated as 2200, normal vision being 2020. 2200 is still a great deal of vision. One can still move around pretty good unaided. And there are certain magnifiers with which some legally blind people can continue to read. Legal blindness also occurs when a person's field of vision is narrowed to 20 degrees or less. In other words, it's like looking down the barrel of a rifle with no side or peripheral vision. And that can be very dangerous because you can see clearly what's immediately in front of you and you could trip and fall. With this what we call restricted vision, a person can read the small print in the classifieds and then get up and walk into a fire hydrant because it doesn't fall into their little circle of vision. So you can see a person can be legally blind and still retain some functional vision. It may not be much, But it's a bunch compared to none. And the fact is, in a lot of cases, it could get worse.
1: So it's not all black and white. I mean, like, day and night, right?
2: Yeah, that's another one of the myths. Blindness is lights on, lights off. It's not that way at all. See, blindness takes different forms. There's glaucoma, which you might not even notice at first because it can happen so gradually. But once you do notice it, the sight you've lost is gone. But glaucoma is treatable, and its insidious creeping up on you can be stopped. If it isn't stopped, it can lead to total blindness. Macular degeneration, on the other hand, will not lead to total blindness, but this degeneration affects your ability to see detail, color, and clarity. Retinitis pigmentosa is a genetic form of sight loss which begins on the periphery and works its way inward. It too can lead to total blindness. Cataracts is yet another form of sight loss which can be treated successfully without patient surgery. In every case, the sooner you see a doctor, the better off you'll be. It's important to know what you are dealing with and how you, even in your unique circumstances, fit into the total picture. And you have to separate the facts from the myths about blindness because the minute you say something like, oh, yeah, but that's not for me, that's for those blind people, you're going to be putting off finding a solution for your particular vision problems.
1: Okay, here's a myth for you. Eating carrots will improve your vision. That's not right, right?
2: It is true that carrots are high in vitamin A, which is essential for sight, but only a small amount is necessary for good vision.
1: Okay, here's another one. Reading in dim light can hurt your eyes. Wrong, right?
2: Reading in dim light can make your eyes tired. But no, it won't really hurt your eyes. In fact, there's no specific eye condition we know of where using your eyes can hurt them.
1: Well, that's all the myths I know, so you better take it from here. Tell me about the German Shepherds.
2: You mean guide dogs, right? But they're not all German Shepherds.
1: Yikes, another myth. I thought all seeing Eye dogs were German Shepherds.
2: Well, now that's something else. seeing Eye dogs is a brand name. You know that?
1: You mean, like, German Shepherd is a brand?
2: The very first dog guide school in America was called the Seeing Eye. And the dogs trained there, most of which happened to be German Shepherds, are called the Seeing Eye Dogs. The lady that founded that school actually began training dogs in Europe after World War I. And there was an article in the Saturday Evening Post.
3: Morris, listen to this. What? It's It's in the Post. A woman in Switzerland is training dogs to guide blind veterans.
4: She's doing what? (laughs)
3: She's training dogs to guide men who lost their sight in the war.
4: Dogs? Can they do that?
3: Listen to this. Veterans who are increasingly bitter and frustrated about losing their sight and having to rely on friends or family to lead them around have found a light at the end of a very dark tunnel. Hmm. Men who have had little or no independent travel skills have discovered new freedom thanks to man's best friend and a woman, Mrs. Dorothy Eustace, who is successfully training dogs to act as safe, disciplined, and extremely knowledgeable guides for blind people. In Switzerland... Morris, you can't go to Switzerland.
4: Nancy, I've been blind for three years. And unless you guide me, I can't leave the house. I can't even walk to the mailbox. And if there's the slightest chance that this woman...
2: His name was Morris Frank, and on that very same day, he wrote to Mrs. Eustace. She, in turn, invited him to Switzerland, where he would be trained with a dog guide. Because he didn't have a guide to stay at his side on the ship he took to Europe, he was treated little better than cargo not allowed to move about without a steward and locked in his cabin when no steward was available. Six weeks later, on his return home, Frank and his new best friend, Buddy, were a sensation. Do you really feel safe? How does he know where you want to go? Can a dog actually be trusted to literally take care of you like that? This one can. This is my Buddy. In the years that followed, Morris and Buddy traveled all over the country promoting guide dogs for blind people. Morris played a critical role in publicizing the remarkable work being done by Mrs. Eustace. And eventually he helped her in the founding of the Seeing Eye in New Jersey. Today, there are dog guide schools with different names all around the country. And they train many different breeds of dogs. The myth is that all blind
4: people have or need or can use guide dogs. The truth is only about 2% of us do. For most people with vision impairment, it may not be the best choice. A person with a good amount of remaining vision, for example, is probably not a candidate at all. And everyone to be accepted for training at a guide dog school has to have learned some travel
2: skills using a white cane. And you have to remember that a guide dog is a working animal, not a pet. The dog does have to be taken care of, and that's not always easy.
4: That's true. Also, there's the inevitability that the dog will die or will be retired. And the emotional commitment you've made to the dog can, well, at that time be truly devastating. But for those who choose them and can use them, it's great. First, though, you have to be trained. Right. You go away for 28 days where you're matched to a dog. And together, you go through a pretty rigorous training.
2: You'll learn what the dog can and cannot do. You'll learn what you can and cannot expect him to do. Then you go home and apply the training.
4: One critical aspect of that training is you are the driver. Good old buck will go forward or right or left, but you're the one who has to know where you're going. The dogs can remember commonly traveled routes, but the blind person, if they have any sense at all, is keeping track of where they are. Many
2: people believe dogs can read street signals. Uh Uh-uh. The responsibility to decide when it's appropriate to cross the street is the person's. Not the dogs. Matter of
4: fact, the dog is trained to disobey if the situation is unsafe. For example, if the person gives the dog the command to move forward, and there's some potentially dangerous obstacle in the way, the dog will refuse to move. He's probably thinking, what, are you nuts? And he'll just stand there until you figure out a safer way to go.
2: Good dog, Buck.
1: That's a good story. I like old Buck. You got any more good myths?
2: You've heard that when people lose their sight, their other senses become more acute.
1: Yeah, but that's true. They get like super hearing, don't they?
2: Nope. Not true. At least not totally true. Those who have been blind from birth or early childhood truly do have more acute senses. Studies are being done now to see if those who lose their vision later in life can kind of recircuit the brain to do the same. There's a lady here, Jenny. Jenny's been blind for several years.
3: Well, I'm not sure whether the senses improve or you just pay more attention. Uh, either way, it takes a lot of practice. But today, I often find myself saying, Did you hear that? Or, uh, Do you smell something burning? And as soon as I mention it, the people I'm with will often say, Oh, yeah, I smell something, too. My friends are fully capable of perceiving the same sound or smell. They simply didn't notice the stimulus until it was pointed out. So I think a lot of the super senses idea really boils down to being more aware of the other senses. And when you've trained yourself to pay closer attention, I don't know whether you hear better, but I do know you hear more.
1: Well, I know one thing for sure. Blind people really know how to use the cane.
2: Yes, blind people with white canes is not a myth. It's more of a stereotype. Do you know what a stereotype is?
1: I have a CD player that's a stereotype.
2: That's a different type of stereotype. The word stereotype refers to a kind of a fixed idea that a lot of people have about something which is not completely true.
1: Kind of like a myth, huh?
2: But in this case, there can be some truth to it. A common stereotype about blind people with white canes that you see in movies and on TV is that blind people are never without their canes even in their own homes, in their own yard or office. That is rarely the case, but still on TV there's a guy bumbling around his own room trying to find his way from the bed to the dresser with his white cane probing around in front of him.
3: That's the stereotype. Now the truth is, a white cane is a flexible and efficient way to help keep people safe and graceful. The orientation and mobility training available at blind service organizations is for the most part about developing your individual travel skills, and a great deal of that has to do with the many ways to use the white cane, uh, traveling in unfamiliar areas to identify obstacles, hazards. Crossing the street, the cane helps to communicate in a nonverbal way with drivers. Uh, The cane helps to identify elevation changes like a curb or a step and texture changes like a smooth path becoming rocky. And of course, simply to let people know you have a vision problem.
2: The traditional white cane was first introduced in the 1920s when a Lions Club in Illinois provided them to people with vision impairment. Today, there are specific techniques which are used universally to help people move about with confidence and assurance after the loss of sight.
1: You got any other good myths?
2: Well, a lot of people think all blind people read Braille. The fact is that only about 10% of blind people ever learn Braille.
3: Something really fascinating, I think, is once you get good at reading Braille, and that just takes practice, but once you get the hang of it, it can become so much like reading that many people who've lost their sight as adults will tell you that after reading Braille for a a considerable period, their eyes get tired. Isn't that interesting?
2: The greatest blocks to learning Braille, as with many other skills, are not so much physical or intellectual, but emotional. Lack of self-confidence and the fact that Braille is a symbol of blindness. And there are other options.
3: Large print, which is something you can do yourself. And there are magazines and periodicals published in large print.
2: With a computer, obviously, you can make the print as large as you like. Also, you can get software so that you can hear everything.
3: And talking books, uh, literature, novels, poetry. With talking books, you still have access to the written word, to learning, action, romance, mystery, and to beauty.
2: A lot of people like CCTV, closed-circuit television, which provides many options and varieties of control, including reversing polarity, making the print white on black. A lot of people like this because the light source is the print itself, which can be very helpful.
3: We're all children with respect to sight loss because we've had no experience. But we have to live with it, so we have to deal with it. If you think that one day you'll wake up and it will be okay, well, probably not. To acknowledge it and accept it is the quickest way to open the doors to independence. The most difficult thing for me, as far as acceptance goes, is that to this day, I still have a problem making new friends. I mean, sighted friends. I feel that somehow my blindness makes them uncomfortable, and so I'm hesitant to even say hello. The friends that I have tell me I'm being too sensitive in this area, but real or not, I sense discomfort, and that can interfere with your ability to communicate. I wear dark glasses a lot, and that helps, but it's still something I have to work on. And that's the thing, you see. If you can identify what tasks you have difficulty doing or things you'd simply like to do, that's where your focus should be. It's about finding a solution for you. It's about getting all those doors open.
0: You've been listening to For Your Information, Facts and Myths One of the audio tapes in the series, Sound Solutions. We hope you found the information helpful for you your family and friends. These tapes are available free of charge from Braille Institute, a private nonprofit organization committed to eliminating blindness and severe sight loss as a barrier to the fulfillment of life. Sound Solutions was made possible by the generosity of the H.N. and Francis Berger Foundation, the Fritz B. Burns Foundation, and from thousands of individuals. If you would like more information about anything you heard in this tape, about other tapes in the series, or about Braille Institute, please call our toll-free number, 1-800-BRAILLE. That's 1-800-272-4553. Thank you for listening to Braille Institute's Sound Solutions.